0: We are we're doing this series next steps, uh, and last or yesterday, we did something really cool. We did our second prayer walk. Um, this is we're doing this the first Saturday of each month, and what we did is we just met here at the church and we kind of prayed together for a minute, and then we just walked around the neighborhood uh, surrounding the church and just you know prayed. Uh, and we had little ones and adults, and we had lots of different people coming. It's a smaller group, but we want to invite you to be a part of that where we just pray for our community. And one of the things that I've said both times before we went out is this idea of when we do this, we want to keep one eye and ear on the natural like what's happening around us, but also keep one eye and ear on the supernatural. Like keeping an ear open to, Lord, what might you be doing? What might you be doing in this community, in this neighborhood? Um, there's a, there's a, a, a verse in the Bible where uh, the Pharisees are trying to corner Jesus because he, was, he healed someone on the Sabbath, And they were trying to say, hey, you broke the rules of the Sabbath. And this happened over and over again in Jesus' life. Um, But Jesus responds to him and says, hey, my father is always working. And he goes on to say this um, in John chapter 5, verse 19. And this has become like a life verse for me. This is something that has really impacted me. He says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, my, my dad's always doing something. He's always at work. And he's saying, it's my job to tune into that and to be obedient. To keep an eye and ear on the natural and to keep an eye and ear on the supernatural. Because God is actively doing something in our community. He's actively doing something in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. God is always active in every person's life. One of the things I always tell people is if you want to know if God is working in someone's life, if you want to know if God is actively pursuing someone, the only thing that you have to check for is a pulse. If a human being has a pulse, God is working in their life. I remember I shared this story a number of times, but this was like so key in the story of this church. This was so instrumental in the story of why we started this church. I was driving up to Cleveland um, to visit a friend's church. He asked me to preach, and I was going to preach there, and I was driving up early in the morning, and I saw downtown. I was driving up 71. I looked at downtown Cleveland, and I was just filled with love and compassion and all this stuff for the city um, and I just was like, man, I love Cleveland. I love Cleveland. And, and Jesus spoke to me in that moment and said, I'm letting you feel my heart for the city. I'm letting you feel how I feel. And I felt like the Lord said to me um, that he, like, he he really loves Cleveland. I was like, yeah, I know. I know, you love everybody. And he's like, no, I love Cleveland. I really love Cleveland. And I am on a mission to restore Cleveland to restore what is broken, to restore people's relationships with one another, with, with, with me, to restore the, the wall or the, to res- break down the walls and restore relationships between races and ethnic groups, to restore what is broken in the city of Cleveland. He said, do you want to be a part of it? And at the time, I didn't know what that meant, but I said, yes. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you in your mission of restoration. And this is the heart and vision of this church. Not Listen, I didn't feel like Jesus called me up here to start a weekend service. I felt like he called me to partner with him in his mission of restoration. And last week, We talked about a next step for some of us, for our church, is to invest in this community. To say yes to the family of God. And this week, what I want to talk about is saying yes to his mission. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to like really three things. We're saying yes to his gift of salvation and relationship with him. We're saying yes to his family as crazy as the family can be, and we're saying yes to his cause, to his mission of restoration. And so how can we partner with what Jesus is doing? We are actively being invited in God's mission of restoration. I love this quote by John Wember. John Wember says, the church is not the building, it's the people. That's what we talked about last week. The people of God, is the, we're the church. He said, it's not the gathering, it's also the scattering. And I think we often forget about that last part. That the church isn't just the church when we come together, but it's the church, too, when we are sent out, when we scatter. We want to be more than just a church that gathers on Sunday morning or a church that even does the things we talked about last week, where we, you know, have you know, dinner together and coffee together and small group and all those things. We want to be more than a church that, like, is just a club for us. But we want to be a church that loves our community, that works in our community, that's invested in our community, a church that gathers but also scatters. So with that being said, let's pray, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So, Lord, we thank you that you are on a mission of restoration. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and the lives of every single person who is in this room. We thank you. We thank you for the work that you're doing in people's lives who are listening to this right now online. We thank you that you love Cleveland Heights and South Euclid and Shaker Heights. And you love the area that we are planted in. And you have invited us to be a part of it. And we say yes to you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I want to start with a foundation. Uh, Matthew 28. This is kind of the job description of the church. This is like kind of foundational reason that we exist as a church and as that we exist as a, you know, community of believers. It's our job description. Matthew 28 verse 18 says, Jesus came to them. These were his followers. These were the disciples. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a lot of stuff we could get into in this text. And we actually talked about this when we did baptisms. And we talked about this a number of times. But the thing that I want to dive into here is what is Jesus inviting us into? What is he saying for us to do? He's saying, he's saying to go. To go and do what? Make disciples. And so the first thing I want to talk about this morning is the call that we have in this is not to go and make people have decisions. But he's saying to go and make disciples. And so the call that we have, this first point is, Disciples, not decisions. This is a shift in the mindset. Our Western way of thinking, the Western way of doing church is to go and get people to say a prayer. Go and get people to adopt your system of morality. Or go and get people to get in church. But Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. What does that mean? What does that mean? A disciple is someone who models their life after Jesus, someone who is following Jesus. And so when we talk about the church's posture towards people who maybe aren't in the church, or when we talk about the the church's posture towards people who maybe aren't followers of Jesus, we often focus on them just making a decision, right? Getting saved, saying a prayer, having a conversion moment with all eyes closed. Say this prayer with me and raise your hand if you said the prayer. And listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. In fact, we did that a few weeks ago. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting people to say a prayer or getting people to make a decision. It can be really good. I've seen lives changed because of decisions that people have made. But what does Jesus say? He says, I want you to go and make disciples, people who have dedicated their lives to following me. And that's different than saying, uh, get people saved. And there are so many implications to this, Uh, one being that when we look in the Bible— um, particularly at Jesus' followers, we don't often see his followers have conversion moments. We don't often see the disciples have these moments where they said a prayer in a big gathering and raise their hands. Sometimes we do, actually. Sometimes there are moments where the disciples had conversion moments. But biblically, what Jesus says to people is, in, in, you know, in the Gospels, as he says what? He says, come and follow me. Come to me. Why not you come and follow me? Come and be with me. Jesus is giving people an invitation to know him. To experience him. To, you know, learn from him. To, to be in relationship with him. And sometimes for people, that is a conversion moment, right? But for sometimes it's people who are like, I'm going to just check out this Jesus guy for a little bit. It's a process of hanging around. If we look at the life of Paul, there was a conversion moment. There was a, he was knocked off his horse, and Jesus said, follow me or don't. And, and Paul said, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be a follower. But if we look at the life of Peter, like Peter had this weird like relationship where I don't know where his conversion was. He was constantly kind of going, you know, this way and then that way and up and down and up and down. But he was in this relationship with Jesus that he was following him. And we see this in real life too. Like if I, I, you know, let me, you know, I, if I talk to my dad, my dad had a conversion moment where he was on Ashland campus and he was a, you know, a a hippie in the 70s and a street preacher led him to Christ. But for me, I didn't have that. I maybe said a prayer when I was seven years old and I said another prayer when I was eight years old and nine years old and 10 years old. Uh, but really, my life has been this kind of, you know journey of following Jesus. And what I found is more people have that. That is more common. So why is that important? Who cares, right? Why is that important? It's important because if all we're focusing on is getting people to make a decision, then we're missing out on like pretty much everybody else, pretty much the majority of people. And the idea is this, Uh, I have come to the opinion that the 21st century Christian, uh, we have come to make salvation this formula. Say a prayer, get in church, stop doing this, and then you're saved. It's a prayer you can pray, a decision you make, but I believe that there's maybe a little bit more mystery to it. And this is important because when you, when you boil it down to the moment or the decision, it usually refers to what people believe or how people behave. So when we talk about, as American Christians, if people are saved or if they're Christians or whatever you want to use, usually it boils down to, do you believe the right things and do you behave the right way? Sometimes it's one or the other. Sometimes it's both. And I think believing the right things and doing the right things can be important, right? But they are not prerequisites for following Jesus. They're not prerequisites for Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. What we believe and what we do is extremely important. But the call to follow Jesus is for everybody regardless of what they believe and how they behave. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If it's in the following uh, Jesus, in the, the proximity to him, that oftentimes our beliefs begin to be formed. And it's in the proximity of being close to Jesus that our behaviors begin to change. And so if, if we stop elevating ideas and start elevating Jesus, I think think we're going to see radical change in people's lives. I think the message we hear from so many churches and so many people is get your life together. Stop doing that. And let me just say, first of all, a lot of times I think they're saying things that are wrong. They're telling people to stop doing things that's none of their business and might not even be things that Jesus is asking them to stop doing. And second, again, it's not a prerequisite for following Jesus, even if they were right. Even if they were right. I had a, uh, one of my best friends is this guy named Rashid, Um, and he doesn't mind me sharing this story, but I remember he was like a evangelistic atheist, (laughs) Like, he was a very strong atheist and liked to convince everybody uh, else that they should be atheists as well. And I remember, in fact, we were living on OSU campus. We were sitting on a a side street on OSU campus. It was, like, 3 in the morning when we had our best conversations. And we were just talking. And he he was, like, so good at, like, finding all these, like, things in the Bible that are contradictions and things that were like, hey, if God is real, then what about this? And if the Bible's true, explain this. And, you know, I like having conversations like that. I don't mind it, especially if there's like equity and love involved and it's not like we're fighting or arguing. We're just talking about what we believe. Um, But we have these conversations all the time. And I remember one time, it was like two or three in the morning, we were having one of these conversations, and he brought up some hard question, and I said, "Rashid, I have just as many questions as you, but I could introduce you to Jesus if you want to. And he said, okay. And he said to me afterwards, he's like, when I said okay, I kind of wished I could take those words and put them back into my mouth. But we just stopped and we prayed, and I said, "Jesus, if you are real, can can you just come and be with Rashid right now?" And nothing like magic happened. There wasn't like a you know light that lit up the sky or anything. But he just kind of began to like what, what he, he he like a tear started coming down his cheek, and he said, "I felt something. I felt something that I couldn't explain." And he still can't explain it, and there might be things about Rashid's life that some Christians might say, "Well, you're not a Christian because you do this." But I'll tell you what—he met Jesus, and Jesus invited him into relationship with him, and Rashid has one of the most real, authentic relationship with Jesus out of anyone that I know, and I believe that one hundred percent. That if I would say to, if I would have said to Rashid, Stop doing this or believe these things, he would have never believed. He would have never believed. But he met Jesus that day. He met Jesus that day. Guys, there's so many things, and just like, just to be really blunt, we put, you know, churches are so quick to say uh, things about the LGBTQ community. Or about, you know, people who have views politically even. Like, you can't be a Christian and vote this way. And I just think that breaks the heart of the Lord. I think we are speaking way above our pay grade when we do stuff like that. It's not our business. What our job is, is to invite people to meet Jesus. The call of Jesus is come to me. Come to me, because my burden is, is light. My burden is light. And so that leads me to the second point, is that we are called to build bridges and not barriers. This is my dream for this church. This is my dream for the church at large, is that our churches, this church, that me and you would be bridge builders and not wall builders, we would be bridge builders. So many times what I hear from churches is how we can keep the bad people out, or how can we stop culture from doing these things? Like, how can we stop this library from doing this? Or how can we get this teaching out of our schools? Or how can we, you know, stop the evils of CRT? Or, you know, all these things that are like, what in the world are we talking about? What in the world are we talking about? And we're want, or like, if we could just build big enough walls to keep the bad people out, and we could be safe inside of our beautiful community where we all think the same way and hate the same people how do we protect ourselves from the outsiders and we're not we're look, we're, we're we're called to build bridges to people and not barriers to people bridges to engage and to connect. 1 Corinthians 9, I love what Paul says here. He says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul is saying here, listen, when I am around, like, I don't, I don't put prerequisites on people. Like, I'll, I'll do whatever it needs to do, I, to do to get people to meet Jesus, he would say this over and over again. He would say, like, gosh, if you're around people who don't eat meat, then don't eat meat. Like, if it's going to offend them, then don't do it. Listen, if you're going to be around people who all they eat is meat, then eat meat. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, just do the thing that makes people feel comfortable around you. And I'm not saying if you're a vegetarian, you need to eat. I'm not saying anything like that. But I'm saying what Paul's idea was, was what he was talking about was the, the, the church at the time was saying, gosh, with the Gentiles or with these people, they need to obviously stop doing these things in order to, to come to community. And Paul will say, No, you don't. Just, just be whatever they need to be to meet Jesus. And I love that. Paul was all about building bridges. I remember at my old church, um, I've shared this story before, and sometimes I feel bad sharing it, but I'm going to share it anyways because I have a microphone. <laughs> um, but there, was, there I was, I was at my old church, and this, this person came in and had this booklet. It was like, it was called, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like the Christian White Pages, where it had uh, all of the Christian businesses in the city. And the thought behind it was like, listen, if you want a Christian florist, here's the one to go to. Hey, if you want a Christian mechanic, here's the one to go to. If you want to have a Christian baker, here's the Christian baker. And really, the idea behind it was you never have to talk to someone who's not a Christian again. Like, we can be in our sweet community of people who, again, believe the same things and hate the same people. And uh, and it just made me sick. Like, they, were, they left a stack of them at our church and... Our sweet receptionist was like, hey, does anyone want these? I was like, throw them in the trash. Like, I hate these. Um, and if you have that, I'm, I'm not judging you. Maybe a little bit. No, I'm not. I'm not judging you. I promise. Um, but listen, as Christians, we're not called to, like, figure out how to avoid the bad people. Because, first of all, they're not bad people. <laughs> They're people that Jesus loves. They're people that Jesus is actively pursuing. They're people that like are image bearers of the king. They're people that God says, this is my child. I love this child so much. And when we as Christians say, how can we keep them out? I think God's heart breaks. God's heart is for people to come and know him. And we should be looking not to, to figure out ways to avoid them more, but how can we get in those places more? How can we be around people who need Jesus? Jesus says, I've come for the, the sick, the people who know they're sick, not the people who think they're healthy. That's who I've come for. We see Jesus offering this invitation. Jesus ate and embraced lepers he ate with sinners and tax collectors and sex workers and samaritans and romans and political nut jobs and Jesus just said you you need me and i think that's our job is to introduce people to jesus he was about building bridges to people and this is what we're called to do too I'm so tired of communicating a message to the world of here are the things that we don't like, or here are the behaviors that we find detestable. This is, I I hate this message that the church gives. It's not the message of Jesus. It's not the message of Restoration Heights Church. The message of Restoration Heights Church is come and meet Jesus, he loves you. Full stop come and meet Jesus. He loves you, full stop. Jesus said so clear to me, if you lift me up, I will take care of this church. When you start lifting up ideals, when you start lifting up like practices, that's where I think we get in trouble because here's the thing, the Bible can be confusing. We can have different understandings of how to read it and how to interpret things. And when we get so, when we dig our heels in on certain things, like, is this thing a sin? Is this thing not a sin? Is this, you know, whatever. When we dig our heels into those things, we miss the point. We miss the forest for the trees. But when we lift him up and say, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? I think that's the key. When we go into our communities and we don't say, "Hey, uh, Jesus is calling you to stop doing this," but when we say, "Jesus loves you and He wants to know you," full stop. I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see restoration. But here's the thing: it's not just about what we say. It's got to be about what we do, too. Uh, Rick Warren famously said, uh, you know, we're called to be the body of Christ, but everybody wants to be the mouth. St. Francis of Assisi, this quote is oftentimes attributed to him. We don't know if he actually said that. This is not important, um, but what, he, what the quote is is important. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. The way we treat our neighbor, the way we treat people who have burdens, the way that we treat people who are um, struggling, maybe who live a lifestyle maybe that you don't understand, the way we help the poor, the way we help the sick, the way we, we um, engage in issues of suffering, the way we speak about people who vote differently than us, the way we talk about immigrants or refugees, the way we talk about people who are struggling i remember this is a story that i am embarrassed to tell but i'm going to tell it because i feel like the lord has told me to i remember um a a number of years ago i was sitting on my front porch um in columbus and this lady was walking down the street and in one hand she had a baby and the other hand she had a cigarette And I remember looking at her and I said, like kind of under my breath, what a piece of trash. And I remember Jesus saying, she is not a piece of trash. This was like the most harsh that Jesus has ever been with me. He said, you do not talk about my daughter that way. And it was like kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, you love her. And he was like, you do not dehumanize people you do not use words that takes away someone's humanity she's not trash she's beautiful i love her and she needs help this is the kind of church that we want to be we want to be a church that's not known for judging or who we judge or or how we judge we want to be a church that is love full of love this doesn't mean we don't you know, talk about hard things. It doesn't mean we don't challenge each other at times, but, but gosh, can that not be the first thing we talk about? And here's what I found too. This is just the truth. With even things like, and I've talked with the Asplins about this, and I've talked, you know, with a number of you guys about this. There are certain things like five years ago that I was certain about that the Bible clearly says this. And now, five years later, I'm like, I don't know if that's what the Bible says, actually. I think that's what I was told the Bible clearly says. And so, again, if we just are... If we are better at not just digging our heels in and just making it clear, like, here are the principles that we believe, but if we're lifting Jesus up and saying, isn't he great? I think we're going to see a lot more fruit. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stand?